Welcome to the final episode of season four of Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world using bold thinking to transform businesses and themselves. It's incredibly hard to distill the design career of today's guest in a few words. Amongst other achievements, Dennis Furness has led design for Unilever globally and more recently for PepsiCo in Latin America, meaning it might be quicker to name the household brands Dennis hasn't had an impact on to date. Throughout his career, Dennis has stood out as a design leader with a reputation for breakthrough ideas that create measurable business impact. I've been lucky enough to have known and been inspired by Dennis for many, many years. And I'm delighted that he's joining us today from Miami to talk about bold thinking and to tell us a little bit about what's coming next. Welcome to Bold Thinking, Dennis. Really excited today. So I want you to start off, and I know it's like a everyone's going to be like amazed when all this career comes out because it's so fascinating. Tell us about your career and how does a kid from Congleton in Manchester end up leading design for powerhouses like PepsiCo and Unilever? Yeah, I, I began like a lot of people, like clueless, right? 16 years old, flunked out of school, no qualifications, went to work in a factory, worked as a truck builder for, for a few years. And, you know, luckily, and I say luckily, it was the 1970s, late 70s, and uh, we had the massive recession of Margaret Thatcher. And <laughs> I remember the I remember the get on your bike, and I'm like, all right, I'll take you literally. So rather than hang around, I, I did a little backpacking and, and then put myself into art school. And I was fortunate as well because that was back in the day when you got a minuscule grant, right, as a mature student. And so that was fab for me because you know, having worked for a living, I, I really discovered myself quite quickly, I think, in terms of what I really loved doing. And, like a lot of designers, you know, I, I started as a kid, right? I started before I can even remember. And it wasn't just drawing pictures. Everybody thought, oh, you're great at drawing. But no, it was it was imagination, right? And I think, you know, imagination is, for me, critical. I'm definitely a daydreamer. And, and I think my career is sort of a daydream as well, because I can't believe it, honestly, that I've come all this way and I'm still going. And I have no idea where it's going to stop or where it's going to end. Hopefully it never will. But um, yeah, so let me give you the synopsis. So graduated from Camberwell, um, reluctantly graduated from Camberwell. I applied to the Royal College, wasn't accepted, got the interview. They fiercely told me, you're ready, you don't need more time. And I was completely the opposite. I'm like, no, 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 I just want to keep doing what I want to do, right? And that sort of pushed me out into, into the workplace. And initially, I began as an illustrator. And actually, you know, looking back, I, I didn't think I was successful, but I really was I was in FHM magazine. I was a featured illustrator with regular placements and editorial, and that was amazing to do. Uh, New Scientist was another client that it, I don't know how I got them. I didn't have an agent. And I was I was doing okay and, you know, loving it, but there was something missing, right? And what was missing was the right of the decision because when you're an illustrator, they're looking for your style, not your ideas, right? So I was constantly in confrontation, which is a theme throughout my life, um, you know, with the editors, with the writers about the illustrations that I was doing because they always wanted the same style. And I would come back with something different every time. And that really threw them off piece, right? So I took the decision to go into design, threw together a portfolio, 
uh, worked for an agency in London, London Design Partnership, long since gone. And and the, and the true story is I lied my way in, right? I first of all said I graduated in design, which I hadn't. Uh, second, I told them I could use a Mac, which was a total lie. I had a kind of Mac for dummies book with me on the first day, and I was totally petrified. But I figured it out pretty quickly, and you know, again. I think I was super lucky because the people that I was working with were so nice, so receptive, and they they pretty quickly discovered that you know I had no formal training as a designer, <laughs> but the work I was doing was definitely different. You know, sometimes funny uh, in the extreme in terms of like no one quite got what the hell I was trying to do, and and other times brilliant. And and from there I went to Springpoint um, to work with Fiona Gilmore and Mark Pierce and some incredibly talented people and. And I think that's where, you know, the expression, you kind of, you know, create your chops, you find your way. I discovered branding, like really serious branding and worked on some amazing projects. Yeah, the Vodafone identity is probably the one that stands out the most. I wrote with Lawrence, uh, Gary Broadbent, uh, Kirsty, Mark Pierce, very small company, but we produced this amazingly iconic identity. And I wrote the 15-page manual because, honestly, Mark, don't kill me. But none of us knew how to write a guideline <laughs> apart from Mark. So I just made it up, <laughs> right? And so, I, it was, you know, and it, and it went to market really fast and the rest is history. You know, then it was on the Man United football shirts. It was on the news. It was, like, mind-blowing. So incredible experience. And it's at that point with Springpoint where I, I took another decision um, and which goes back to decision making, right? So I got really frustrated with some of our clients because they had the right of decision. So, you know, in all honesty, I just said the hell with this and I went corporate and I never looked back, right? Mm. Not until now. Mm. Um, but that was that was quite some time ago, it was 20 years ago, maybe. And it's been super interesting for me to build myself in the corporate world because you do have that power of decision. You are on par with your marketing partners. It's it's still, you know, by mutual agreement, you know, you have to test, 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 test. But at the end of the day, you're the one that's driving to get the right decision. You're the one that's at the helm. And that's been really great for me and allowed me to work on some really iconic brands like like you introduced me. I don't know whether I'm, and I, I don't know, I'm definitely not a rock star. I'm definitely not a megastar. I'm still that kid that's, still punching his way through and still trying to find my way. But, you know, along the way, you do some amazing stuff. I remember when I um, I first met Dennis, um, someone said to me, like, hey, what brand would you really like to work with? I said, I've always wanted to work for Unilever. And they're like, you'll never work with Unilever because they only work with a massive, massive companies. Um, and I can't remember exactly what happened, but we got an opportunity and I sat next to Dennis and we were looking at, he was talking about doing the co-creation centre uh, and he said afterwards, come and see me, come and see me. So I went in to see Dennis in the big Unilever offices, just a couple of us, me and this little thing. And we talked about sustainability, didn't we? Because I absolutely love it and supply chain and how it all works. And then at the end of it, I was like, oh, thank you very much, Dennis, for seeing me. Left the room. And then 24 hours later, Dennis rang me up and said, Julia, the first person that's come in that's never actually said to me, where's the job? And in that case, do you want a job? And I was like, oh my God, yes, what can we do? And, we, and that was the start of it. We had some brilliant, worked on some brilliant projects together, didn't we? The co-creation centre and... Oh, 
Amazing. Yeah, so it was really, really good. So something new is coming up in 2022. What can you tell us about it now to get everybody sort of teased and what's going on? And then then we really want to get you back as a a guest in season five when it's kicking off. So is there anything you can tell us now about what what you've been up to and where you're at? Yeah, I'll give you a perspective first, right? And first of all, yeah, I remember those conversations so well, Julia, our first conversations. And then, yeah, I think we were like a pair of magnets, right? Like, like fiercely drawn to each other to go and do something. And it's the best phone call I ever made, I think. Oh. Yeah, I really believe that to design something and to do it brilliantly, you don't just need empathy. You need to be connected. Mm. You have to have a piece of yourself that you can put into it. And if you don't have a piece of yourself to put in, then then I think you, you're just going through the motions. You're following a methodology or a process. It's not a passion. And, you know, on the flip side of my life, I've, I've been, it's kind of hard to say, right, especially publicly, but I'm going to, you know, so, so sort of born in that, into that body of, like, bisexuality and, you know, never quite understanding it um, pretty much my entire life, but but also living with it. And I've, you know, raised my three sons. I have an amazing wife and, you know, they're fully aware, and, you know, of who I am. Um, but I've never put that into my work, right, until actually quite recently at PepsiCo, I had the opportunity to work on Rainbow through the Rito. Wow. So you can imagine, yeah. I mean, it was like, wow. <laughs> so, and it, and it, it was so easy for me to do because of who I am and it felt this massive connection and I worked harder I think than I've worked on anything else in my life I'd definitely push bolder ideas forward and you know we won obviously creative awards for the work that we we did over the three years that I was involved but it was it was beyond eye-opening it was it was so insightful because I could feel this thing inside me my heart was really going into the work and it wasn't to solve a client problem or to you know uh, create a message or a purpose the purpose exists within me and that's so powerful right that that purpose can come through and that's what's pushing me to move and move myself forward and put myself more out there into the work that I do so with all of that uh, energy, passion, commitment, and the desire to create a meaningful legacy that's from me, um, I'm going to create a brand. Mm, and, you know, so having done it for so many people for so many years and seen so many successes, I, I just feel compelled to do it, mm. right? Risk aside, everything's risky. There's nothing in life that isn't a risk. Crossing the road is a risk, right? So yeah, just that that's that's where I'm I'm taking myself and the work that I do. And you know, I'm in that fortunate position now where I've worked hard and I've worked long. And my uh, last son is now in university. So I'm super excited. I mean it's it it's incredible. And so I've started to explore um a number of areas especially the world of fashion which is where i'm headed towards shockingly Mm. never done it before Mm. not a fashion designer go back to the beginning of my career i was an illustrator said it was a designer i've now started to introduce myself as a fashion designer but hey it's a mindset right so that's that's sort of the beginning of it if you if you want to go deeper we can we can 
defer. Well, I think what we're hearing is that um, Dennis has uh, left PepsiCo and he's setting up his own brand. And we all want to know exactly what that brand is. But if you can't share that yet, we can talk about that in the next series. Because I think somebody that's been as iconic in his career as Dennis in that design industry, you know, people are going to be incredibly excited to hear about what that is, what that means and how that develops as a brand. And honestly, I think people will knock me over the head. I've said this about 50,000 times when me and Dennis went to India. We did this this big workshop, didn't we, for Pure It with um, Unilever. We had like five days there and loads of people were coming in with ideas and suggestions. And I think it was... Dennis sort of said at one point, oh, my God, you know, the the, ad, the guy wanted to do an ad campaign and somebody else wanted to do a new logo. And, and and I think Dennis said, all we need is ideas to power the boat. <laughs> Stop yeah. all that periphery. It's driving us all bonkers. And I think that's, uh, I must have said that about 50,000 times in my life. So is this an, an idea to power the boat? I, I think it definitely is. Float your boat, power your boat, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think, like everything I've, I've tried to do, I, I want to push the envelope, right? Now I'll use a comparative. I, I remember so clearly when we, all those years ago, when we took the Vodafone brief, and the right there in the brief is digital technology. So, you know, where does my brain go? Where does Gary's brain go? I mean, I was fortunate. We were all like-minded. Mark was like-minded. Hell with that, right? We need to be different. Every technology company is a digital company, right? And and will be. And, And the point is that Vodafone identity is about speech and it's owning speech. Now, think about that. That's before everybody was texting each other, before the world of communication that we're in today. But we we had this belief and, and sense that it was all about communication and talking to each other and thus the Vodafone mark was born. Mm. So this is very similar, I think. It's very different in terms of outcome. But yeah, I pl- plan to provoke and shock, mm. right? Um it, through the work that I do. And I want to use design and design sensibility and and a sense of art and sensuality um, and and bring that forward for a young man today, old men today, I mean, all men, right? We're not talking MTV awards. Um, Mm. We're talking just the reality of, you know, the world that we're living in today and, you know, how, how everybody is sort of adjusting because of COVID very much so because of COVID. And and I think many people are starting to you know, reevaluate themselves and explore themselves a little more. And I think we're all becoming more individual, ironically, now that we're not moving in herds mm. and going to an office and you know, or into a design studio with 30 people, you you become more individual. Mm. And and I think that's really motivating, right? Because you know, whether COVID ends or not, I, I don't think that you know, the the political powers that be and the institutions that be um, can turn back time. I think I think that, you know, many companies are going to be dealing with this, right? That the sense of career, the sense of individuality is 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 going to be a prominent factor. You know, I wouldn't want to be a HR person today, would you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, no. So what what do you think your boldest idea has been and how have you made it happen? Wow. Yeah, so many. The, so look, so I said earlier, I, I do have, there's a reason when I was running a design company of my own and then with two other partners that it was always at odds with people. I'm very single-minded, 
right? And maybe a little bit too much. So, but the um, I blanked on your question, Julie. <laughs> Do you know what it is? I know your brain, Dennis. So I'm going to spend time with you. Yeah. With your boldest idea, there's probably about a million ideas trying to pop out at the same time. We could come back to that. And I tell you what, you're re- what I'd love to hear from you is what do you think people want or need from brands today? Well, I'm going to go back to your, go on your, on your bold idea. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you uh, this, <laughs> this one nugget. So, uh, many years ago, um, my wife and I started a small design company, right? And, uh, we then worked with another partner design company because we didn't have any people and we worked with the Thermos company, right? So we went to see Thermos and, you know, obviously they want to give you a design brief. So we sat down, you know, nice and politely and like, yeah, that sounds great. But uh, we'll, we'll come back in a week because we want to digest what you said and come back with some thinking. So a week later, we went back and, and I said to the Thermos team, your brand is dead, Right. Let's be realistic. Right. The brief you're giving us is sort of a back to school idea or something. But surely you're sitting on top of a gold mine because you are the thermos company. And all you need to do is reframe the brand as a technology and bring it into the 21st century. This is you know, still 20th century. I think <laughs> I don't know. No, actually, it was just turn of the century. Then, um, from that simple conversation, we managed to get a budget to go away and create a workshop. And the workshop was essentially to brainwash the client, right? To get them into the mode of thinking differently and to get them inspired. And after all, you know, as designers, we, that's what we do best. We, we inspire people. And one of the concepts that we came up with was baby products, and it was just around the time when the bugaboo and the trendy buggies had started to come out. We said, look, thermos technology for babies, temperature control, anti-BPA, stainless steel products. And we created that idea and we called it Fugo, which came very simply from food on the go. But I wanted a word. And I remember driving the designers we were working with absolutely crazy because they would come back with all these really fun, playful expressions but none of them are right they're also like play-doh and <laughs> fugo i just saw him like oh my god that's it who came up with mm. that and they'd like apparently it was a typo and i'm like no no, no that's <laughs> it we're going with it so fugo became the brand and within a year it was featured at the houseware show as number one innovation of the year come on it's a thermos it was converted to a baby sippy cup right and with a few added features but um it became very quickly the number one baby shower gift in the US, then went global. And my wife actually bumped into Rick Diaz, who was the CMO and I think still is at Thermos. And he said, thank you so much. That is still the biggest thing we've ever done, still our strongest selling product and pretty much saved the business. Wow. So Rick, sorry, I put that bit <laughs> there at the end. But, you know, that for me is just, you know, like, taking something that exists, applying some bold thinking to it, and then bringing it back to practicality, right? They're like, how do you make that crazy idea work? And yeah, I mean, that that was bold. Mm-hmm. It was bold for us to go in and, you know, have that risk with the client. It was bold of the client to, you know, to trust us, brainwashed or not, and, in, in the payback was obviously enormous, yeah. right? Versus the brief they were going to give us, which probably would have been a value for a year. Mm. And the next year they'd be briefing another design company. And that's, you know, for me, super important. 
uh, the one thing I would love to say to all my colleagues in the industry, quit process, forget process, forget problem solving, forget it. That's not what we do. We are born to create and we bring inspiration to others. And through our inspiration, we create methodology and through methodology, we create experience and through experience, we create brands. It's pretty straightforward. We're still in that world of Leonardo da Vinci, right? By which I mean, we're artists, designers, and innovators. We compartmentalize ourselves. And I think that's a fatal mistake for any creative. If you say you're a brand designer or say you're a product designer or you're a car designer or a fashion designer, for me, that's not the way to do it. Mm -hmm. The way to do it is to be prepared to trust your instincts and then convince others that your instinct mm. is is actually profound logic. And that's very hard, especially when you have a scatterbrain like mine. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, as you can tell, I mean, I really believe that, mm. right? We're, we're artists at mm. our core. I, yeah. I love that. So what do you think people want or need from brands today? Wow, God, that's... That's a hot question, isn't it? And there's so many different ways you can answer it in the kind of, I think, the politically correct way. But I don't think that people necessarily need brands anymore, right? And I know other people are saying that, but then, uh, you know, when they sort of challenge, they never get a good reason for why. And I think the reason for why is quite simple. I think brands were born of the industrial age, right? So... Product manufacturing, we need to call it something. Let's call it the Model T, any color you want, as long as it's black. That's pretty much how we've tried to operate brands, yeah? It's in a category. It has a niche. You know, it's a, it's a full Model T. So that doesn't work anymore because people aren't looking to buy products. And they're not even looking to buy an experience. They're looking, I think, to envelope themselves in <clears throat> within things that that mean something to them so obviously that means a sense of purpose but it's more a sense of connection i, I love brands like google you know that have really i mean it's a powerhouse but it, it's it's evolved itself in so many ways um and for me far exceeds anything apple has done because they've woven themselves into the fabric of our lives, yeah, in, in a non-evasive way, in a way that I feel I really want to embrace mm. what they have and what they have to offer. Now, right or wrong, um, that's how I feel about Google. Mm. I love Google, mm. right? Um, I'm actually dumping my iPhone. Sorry, Apple, lifelong designer, <laughs> lifelong Apple user, but I'm determined. Mm. I'm going to go all Google when I start my new enterprise. I'm going to go as far away from Apple as I can because Apple for me is still the full Model T. And yeah, poor old Steve Jobs, I'm sure, is turning in his grave mm. because, you know, uh, Johnny Ives, apologies, but, you know, you set a style that it like seems so rigid, so mm. Orwellian, so mm. like monolithic. It's <clears throat> it's not creative. Mm. It's not. It's Apple is not a creative brand. And and I think they've you know they've sort of exploited their position rather than you know doing what Google has done, which is you know move into new territories, try new things, be prepared to fail. Um 
and I've had a lot of failures. So, yeah, I don't know the way that that takes it, but it, I think you know. Back to your question, I think everybody should be thinking in that sort of agile, fluid way about creating something that people want. Forget the word brand. Mm. Yeah, brand brand is basically putting a stamp on something and saying you own it and mm. you, you're you're licensing it or you're you're giving it to someone for a fee. Mm. People don't want that. Mm. I really don't think people want that anymore. It's, you know, they want a little rock music in their lives, a little bit of reggae, a bit of salsa. Give me a little of this, a little of that. Who the hell wants to get up every day and listen to the same goddamn song? Mm. Not me. Mm. So, yeah, that's in a very roundabout way, I guess, saying that people want to be part of the story, mm. not be sold the story yeah no i really love that so you know how optimistic are you and what do you think it's going to take for a brand to thrive in the future you know and you can bring your own ideas and brand into this at the same time but what's it going to take for brand to thrive yeah well you know it's like many moons ago i met mark gabay right luckily and sort of wangled myself into an interview with him that quickly turned into like lunch together and then like a two-hour chat and yeah, he wrote the book on emotional branding. Yeah, super smart guy, absolutely incredible person. And he definitely, you know, like moved my perceptions of how I was thinking about brands. But I think Mark didn't get either. It's the word emotion isn't enough in itself, right? The brands are themselves very complex, um, a set of emotions or a you know, the, the, there are different things with each brand, just like people, they're all distinctly different. And, and for me, that's been tricky to understand. But where I'm going now is like I personally want to explore the world of sensual branding. I really want to explore it. And that's what's driving me. It's not sensorial. It's sensual. Mm. And, and, and all our personalities are sensual, right? When you think about who we are, we have a sensual relationship with the world around us, a sensual relationship with with our partners, with the people that we love, and we have a sensual mindset um, just as humans. And, and it's that that I really want to explore. And, and I think that's starting to come through, especially in a lot of the, you know, the, the younger brands, you know, that have appeared over the last four or five years. Um, they, they seem to be less afraid to explore that side in themselves, yeah. So what sort of brands would you say are doing that? Oh, I think, you know, what a super successful Lululemon. Yeah. Oh, my God, that brand I think is yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And there's a sensualness to that brand, even though it's in the world of apparel. It's not like Nike. It's not like anyone else, right? Nike tried it with Goddess, but it has this inbuilt sensuality that I love. So that's one. Um and I, th I think, you know, in terms of the mainstream brands, that's that's probably the big one. But I don't really have another brand that I would point to and say, you know, this, this for me is, is, is a sensual mm. brand. And that's that's why I want to create. Right? And I think. So do you think it's a time of the entrepreneur? Oh, for sure. Oh, my God. Yeah. Come on. How easy could it be right now? Right. <laughs> I mean, um, but when I say how easy could it be, it's, yeah, you know, if you go back 10 years, right, the number of channels that designers were able to take part in were very limited. 
today, multiplex. We can enter any world through through the world of digital, through the world of physical, through the world of uh, connection, uh, experience. And, and I think that is really powerful. God, do I wish I was 20 years old and a designer today. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have no idea how lucky you are. Yeah, like the world is is your oyster. Mm. And the reason I said how easy could it be is I think we have a an incredible advantage as creatives in that the, the tools that are required to run, start, develop a business are way simpler. Um your ability to talk and connect with people and tell people what you're striving to do is way simpler. And so you don't need this army now to build a company. Mm. It's really, I think, about, you know, your your own motivations. And I was reading about someone, I was terrible remembering names. I was reading about a um, designer a couple of days ago. Um, actually, he's a self-taught designer, is a little on me. Uh, in you know, this story I think is incredible because he just, like many entrepreneurs, just had an idea for a company. And instead of sitting around and trying to figure out a business plan, just started making the product. And, you know, out of the product necessity, created a brand and tried two or three different brand names. And then, you know, hey-ho, the, the product becomes an outrageous success. The brand becomes a success. And I, I think, Julie, you sent me a link the other day, you know, very similar story, right? Someone that like, just had the idea to go and do something a little bit different and and just push themselves to the limit, mm-hmm. right, to get to go do it and became incredibly successful. So, yeah, I think, I think we're going to see more and more entrepreneurs. I think we're going to see brands, as we call them today, come and go much more often, yeah? And, and you know, happily so. Not every brand should become a behemoth, yeah? Some some products or experiences or brands, I hate that word brand these days, but but basically, you know, they serve their purpose in the time they're in and, you know, enjoy them, have fun with them. And that's that's what I want to do. I'm not going to try and build something that will become a multi-billion dollar enterprise. I just want to go do something that I really enjoy doing. Has to be successful because I want it to be successful and I'll feel good about it. And yeah, it's it's a bit like, I guess, a band recording an album. You know, as long as people love it, I'll worry about the next album later, right? But we'll just, this is the one, mm-hmm. right? Just So that's, that's me and, you know, how I see the world today, I think, as well. No, I think you're right. I think it starts with a need or a passion, ideation, desire. And then after that, it's, you know, making it work every day, getting up and living it, loving it, the joy of it, isn't it? Yeah, totally agree. And not losing sight, right? It's too easy to sort of like get pulled um, in a different direction because you get convinced that like, oh, you know, this is a much easier path or, you know, the way you're going isn't going to work, but this way is going to be much more straightforward. Um, but that's not how it how it works, mm. right? And that's not how you, you create something differentiated and successful. You just create more of the vanilla. So what's your exit plan for this eventual brand? Is it to sell to uh, Unilever as a next range or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think what I'm doing it would appeal to Unilever. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think you know, like the success for me is is that it will be successful, mm. right? And, and the other thing I'm going to do very differently. I'm very conscious of this. And I think I've told you this before, Julia, right? But I'm super selfish. 
right? And I'm, I'm the worst person to show creative work to because I, I want to mold everything and kind of put bits together. And you know, that's why I've loved being a creative director most of my life and, and less so being the designer or mm. the director. But for the first time, what I'm going to try to do is learn from myself and do the opposite. So when I build this brand, as I build it, I'm really hoping that other people will come on board and we'll build a collective together and, you know, use our experiences and expertise, you know, with mutual passion towards a common goal of creating something super successful that means something to the world. And I guess like, you know, like a bit like a, I keep referencing bands today. I don't know why, but a bit like a band, you know, when it gets to a certain point, some of them go off and become very successful solo artists. And sometimes the band stays together and keeps going. Sometimes it doesn't. And I think, you know, that for me would be a great outcome if I could, through doing this, attract the interests of friends or other people to be part of it and, and, and create it together very much, you know, with that kind of, in the way that I described. And then at some point it will naturally just dissolve, but become something else through the hands of other people. And that's, that's all I want, mm. you know, and it's, and I think for me, that would be the greatest legacy, right? Mm. It'd be something that I seeded, worked with us to create. And, and, and it goes out into the world. Now, does that mean it gets bought? Does that mean, you know, like a company comes along and buys it? I don't know, but I love the story of Factory Records. Anyone that's watched 24-hour party, people will know it, right? It's the the world I grew up in. I know, Julia, right? Like, um, a lot of people did. But what I loved about that movie is I never knew that none of the bands were actually signed. They all signed in blood. So there were no contracts, right? And when it all fell apart that was kind of shafting I think you know for for everybody but it's it, I, I love that mindset and I guess that's still the kid in me from the north of England right mm. it's like let's do this together mates right let's do this as friends mm. let's just let's just go do it right we might have a few fights along the way and we may all have a bust up at the end but mm. let's give it a go mm. and and that's yeah, that's fueling me. Yeah, I, I can see. I mean, I'm actually looking at Dennis and he's literally radiating with energy, light, enthusiasm. Brilliant. Thank you, Dennis. That's really good. Um, thank you for joining us today and for listening to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. If this episode has got you thinking, share your comments on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram, or you could contact us at the hello at thehonestbrand.com. Join me next time to hear from someone else who's making a positive change in the world. Thank you for Dennis. Yeah, thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Dennis.